But we have been, uh, we, we started last week just as a teaser uh, along the lines of sort of why we believe the things that we believe. I'll just remind you of this quote, which is kind of like, you know, sort of what I'm going after, uh, but from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the idea that we do not obey because we do not believe. And so he strikes on this truth that uh, God calls us to do very difficult things. Yes? All right. We, we don't uh, advance an easy Christianity here. Uh, Jesus calls us to do difficult things and challenging things, extraordinary things, because he has built us for those things and knows that that is the best experience for us. Uh, he refines our faith as in a fire because he knows that is the best gift to give us, for us to experience. And so God calls us to these difficult things. And in order for us to do those difficult things, it's important for us to have a very strong foundation of belief. And that foundation is continuously being eroded by the world around us. By a constant messaging uh, that the things that we believe no longer hold up in life or they no longer have the weight of authenticity or some such messaging. So we gather here to remind ourselves, hey, this stuff that we believe is actually true. So uh, we started with creation, which for me, maybe you have a different sort of starting point uh, for your faith, but for me, when everything is just kind of swirling around in my head and there are doubts, uh, I go back to creation. This is kind of where I, where I go back to sort of build my faith. So maybe that's not your path and that's okay, uh, but creation should be somewhere on your foundational faith path. So I'm just of the belief that all of this can't be here by accident. That's, that's sort of where I start. Uh, there's, there's just no way that all of this can be here randomly, regardless of how much time uh, we, can, we can say has happened. That, that randomness, I, I, like, I just don't do random. Okay, So maybe that's a bad presupposition to start with, but uh, that's kind of where I begin. The reason I begin there is because of um, things like the necessity of immediate dependency in creation. Let me explain what I mean by that. But the necessity of immediate dependency. So uh, maybe you've seen a uh, YouTube video or you've seen a picture at some point, but uh, there's, like a, there's a hummingbird that has a crooked beak. Like it's crooked in this very unique way. And then there just happens to be this flower that is also crooked in exactly the opposite way. And this hummingbird and this flower, they go together perfectly. Like, this is where the hummingbird gets its food. It, it can't get its food anywhere else because of how its beak is crooked. And this is the only bird, the only thing that germinates this particular plant, this particular flower. So you guys getting the picture? If you need, I can send you the YouTube link and you can watch this. But hopefully you're getting the picture, right? So there's only one bird that can make this flower continue to live. And there's only one flower that can make this bird continue to live, right? 
So we get to that question, which came first, like the chicken or the egg, right? This is the question that scientists cannot answer for us or those, that, those who have stolen the label of scientist for themselves. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this in the world, but a lot of times there is a small group of people who are advancing an ideology that is not true, but they are doing it with a very loud and persuasive voice. And because of that loud and persuasive, even widespread voice, people get the idea that something is true. I would say that that's right out of Hitler's propaganda playbook, but Hitler stole that playbook. Well, he didn't steal it. He used it willingly. That's a playbook that has been being used from the very beginning. Uh, Maybe you can think of a few situations in our culture and in our world where a small group of people have big voices and they're advancing an ideology that is a long ways from the truth. So I'll let you ruminate that, ruminate on that and come up with some of your own ideas. But as I look at creation, as I see all of these examples, and that is one of a million at least different examples that we can clearly point to and say there is no way, like the probabilities are so incredibly small that it would be completely ridiculous to believe that these two complementary things that needed immediate dependence upon each other, that they randomly evolved at just the right time, in just the right place, at just the right season. That because every possible universe exists and because every possible uh, variation within all of those possible universe also exists, apparently, then this one must have existed. I can't, I can't handle that intellectual stupidity. Ooh, are we allowed to say that? Yes, we are. Because you know who else has a big voice? We do. We just fail to use it sometimes. But we're also in a battle, right? And battles don't always go smoothly. Battles don't always go well. Sometimes you lose ground in a battle. But we have the opportunity to take it back. You see, there is this, uh, in our world, (laughs) a group of people who have decided before they enter into the conversation, they have decided that nothing supernatural can be. And so they have just shut off an entire realm of possibilities. And so any conversation that 
introduces the idea of the supernatural is immediately shut down because that person has made the decision in advance that it is not possible, that there are only naturalistic explanations for what has gone on here. But (laughs) as people dive into science, real science, as you know, by the way, that science is the pursuit of truth, like science is like, you know, from the the, uh, Latin word for truth, right? Like that's what scientists are supposed to be doing, pursuing truth, and so that's why there are so many examples over the course of the history of science where scientists have begun to dig into what is true And as they have seen more and more order and complexity and the organization of that complexity and the the necessary immediate dependence, they realize this decision I made at the beginning to not allow for any supernatural possibilities was a wrong decision. And science leads them to a place of faith. Maybe that wasn't your path. Uh, Maybe you had a spiritual encounter with God. You had a deep sense of just knowing that the things being taught about God were true. I know somebody who was sitting at an Easter lunch uh, with her family, and one of her family members read a passage of Scripture. That was the uh, the only Christian at the table, and that Christian just decided to read had a tradition of reading a passage of scripture in their home. And this person, who was another member of their family, who had completely blown off any, any idea of spirituality or the supernatural before in her life, she was overcome with a sense that what she heard was completely true. And it opened her eyes to begin thinking about what had just happened to her and as she began investigating more and more of these things she realized how deep the truth went Um, we have a book that tells a story about a God who created in the way that scientists see that God has created. If you were to Google right now, most amazing scientists of all time, for example, or some such thing, however you're going to word it, very likely Sir Isaac Newton would be the top scientist ever to live because of discoveries that he made and sort of dots that he connected for everybody. Sir Isaac Newton was a follower of Jesus Christ had a very clear understanding of who the creator of the universe was. And if you just go through that list, you'll see Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian. We are being told a lie in our world, in our culture, that there cannot be a confluence of faith and reason. But the reality is that as more truth comes out, we see God, the God of the Bible, revealed more and more. 
We believe that this book is the inspired word of God. Whoa, that's pretty serious. We just made a big leap from there's a designer out here. There's obviously intelligence that was introduced into our, our created order, into the universe. So, okay, I can, get in, I, I can go with you there. There's an intelligent being. But you just said this book that you're you know, touting around is like from God. Whoa, that is a jump. Well, let me explain how we get there. Uh, we call this a book now. Uh, it began as a bunch of individual scrolls, right? The, you know, if you open up to the book of Esther, for example, at one point that lived as an individual sc scroll. And all of these books were, were scrolls, essentially. And at some point, uh, around 600 AD, uh, somebody started, you know, we started transitioning from scrolls to books. And then when you put a number of books together, it was called a codex. And so the first way this would have been referred to would have been a codex. Now we call it a book. It's got a bunch of little books inside of it. We just say the book. And we've decided to call it the Bible. And Christians refer to this as the Holy Bible, which obviously a lot of people disagree with, that this is the Holy Bible. Uh, it says of itself that it is God's word, but that's no proof to us, right? Any book can claim anything about itself. So that's really kind of meaningless unless you're already convinced about what it is. So why do we consider this to be the inspired word of God? Uh, the number one reason is because of the prophecies that are given in the Bible. I'll give you an example of a few this morning and how they were fulfilled. There's just, there's just too much proof to be ignored, right? And that's what, that's what Paul is claiming about the universe, uh, right? Romans 1, 16 through 18, he's, he is claiming that God has made himself obvious to humanity. Not just available or glimpseable or possible, but that God has made himself obvious. We can discern who God is just from looking at the universe. We can start to figure out what kind of God created the universe? Let me give you an example. Um, maybe you've heard of the city of Babylon. It's an ancient city. Uh, it's not a current city. Uh, the reason it's not a current city is because God said it wouldn't be. Uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 51, 50, 51, 52, and that whole section God is calling for the eventual destruction, complete destruction of Babylon. Uh, at the time that this was written, at the time Jeremiah wrote these things down, Babylon was the, by far the strongest city in the world. Uh, it was 196 square miles big, and all around the city of Babylon was a wall that was 300 feet tall, 90 feet thick. So you're getting, you get an idea of scale, right? Significant 
defense structure. There were two layers of these walls, by the way. Nobody ever even attempted to attack Babylon. They had a fresh water supply, the Euphrates River, running right in the middle of it. There was no way of cutting off their water. They had plenty of area inside the city to farm. They had their own agricultural system, and the area around it was very fertile. So they were able to store up massive amounts of food. There was no way to lay, lay siege to it. There was no way to take out the city of Babylon. It was immutable to attack. Oh, this was also written by Jeremiah, whose city, Jerusalem, has been destroyed by the Babylonian army. The city, the temple, the walls, everything destroyed, wiped out. And a significant portion of the Jewish population, especially from Jerusalem, has been taken captive to Babylon. Can you see that this would, make a, this would be a very bad time to make a prophecy about the demise of Babylon? This would be a very bad time. These are some of the things that Jeremiah says about uh, Babylon. 51 verse 26. You will be desolate forever. Even your stones will never again be used for building. You will be completely wiped out, says the Lord. Uh, Babylon is very unique in that it is a singular city that has, singular ancient city that has not been rebuilt. Verse 28, uh, bring against her the armies of the nations led by the kings of the Medes and all their captains and officers. Uh, the Medes at this point weren't a thing. Like when Jeremiah wrote this, they, 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 they weren't a thing of any note at all. This thing happened very quickly where a bunch of smaller groups started to getting, getting together and forming a large enough army to make any threat to Babylon. The earth trembles and rises in pain for everything the Lord has planned against Babylon stands unchanged. Bold claim for Jeremiah, a prophet of a nation that has been destroyed, to say. Verse 32, all the escape routes are blocked, the marshes have been set aflame, and the army is in a panic. When Cyrus, uh, excuse me, Darius, king, king of the Medes, am I getting that right? Cyrus. I think it's Cyrus. Um, when he takes over Babylon, these things are things that happen uh, in, in dramatic ways. Nobody is able to escape Babylon. They figure out a way to... Uh, dry up the Euphrates so that they are able to walk in to Babylon in a completely undefended way. They walk in during a party, right? Bel Belshazzar's having a huge party celebrating how undefeatable he is. 36 and 37, I will dry up her river as well as her springs and Babylon will become a heap of ruins haunted by jackals. She will be an object of horror and contempt, a place where no one lives. Uh, the uh, area where Babylon now, now sits is essentially a desert area. Uh, the soil has uh, become chemically infertile. It is not able to produce crops. There's, 
prophecies about it being underwater. There's also prophecies about it being a barren wasteland. For two months out of the year, it's largely covered in water. It's an incredibly, uh, or it's, there's like a, a swampy time and then there's a, a desert time. Uh, maybe you've heard the name Saddam Hussein. Uh, he attempted to begin the rebuilding. He, he did start the rebuilding of Babylon, but he didn't make it very far before bad things started to happen to him. I don't know if you know that story very well. He wasn't the only one. Alexander the Great declared that he was going to rebuild the city of Babylon. Ten days later, he died. It's almost as though God has proclaimed that the city of Babylon will not be rebuilt. This is just one example. And as you go through and compare more pieces of the story and see more of how history has worked out, he realized more and more there's something to this, right? The walls of Babylon were finally destroyed by uh, the Roman government, you know, like completely destroyed so that it couldn't be rebuilt. They demolished it. They did not want any hope of Babylon being rebuilt. This is like 600 years after, 700 years after the time of Jeremiah. Uh, verse 43, her city her cities now lie in ruins. She is a dry wasteland where no one lives or even passes by. It says, and I will punish Bel, the god of Babylon, and make him, make him vomit up all he has eaten. The nations will no longer come and worship him. The wall of Babylon has fallen. Uh, it's things like these. Verse 57, I will make her officials and wise men drunk along with her captains, officers, and warriors. They will fall asleep and never wake up again says the king whose name is the Lord of Heaven's armies. So when Cyrus marches in, there's no defense system. They're drunk, they're sleeping, sleeping it off. Verse 58, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says, the thick walls of Babylon will be leveled to the ground and her massive gates will be burned. The builders from many lands have worked in vain for their work will be destroyed by fire, which is how the Romans destroyed the walls. One of the very uh, convincing pieces to the puzzle is all of the uh, description in Isaiah and Zechariah of how Jesus will die, how the Messiah will die. Uh, very graphic and very detailed descriptions describing a Roman crucifixion which wasn't even invented or known at the time that Isaiah and the others wrote those things. There are all of these details given, and they play out exactly as detailed. So much so that secular, non-Christian scholars struggle greatly trying to figure out and give different theories for how these things were maybe edited back in, for how these things aren't exact predictions. And as the truth comes out, as archaeological digs continue to find things, guess what story continues to be validated more and more and more? This story. 
What about compared to other uh, religious books, the Quran, uh, you know, the, the Buddhist and Hindu text? What about them? Do they have any prophecies that have been fulfilled? And the answer is no. Not one. Uh, could it be that Could it be that it's true? And could it be that there is an enemy, that God has allowed an enemy to deceive? Could it be that the people have fallen into that trap over and over and over again? Could it be that God has offered so much in the way of obvious proof to who he is and to what he is like. Uh, I'm going to suggest to you that that is the case. And that the thing that Jesus would call us to is a soft heart. A heart that is willing to respond to truth that he has laid down. Uh, one of the things that the Pharisees asked Jesus to do was they asked him to perform a miracle to prove who he was. <laughs> I'll paraphrase, but Jesus basically said, not on your life. I'm not going to stoop to that level because I've already proven it. You have the law. You have the prophets. You've seen Jesus had already performed a bunch of miracles in their presence and in their sight. But they wanted their own special miracle in that moment. Jesus told them, I'm only going to give you one more. The sign of Jonah. Which is to go into the belly of the fish for three days and to come out. He told them that he was going to die. And on the third day, raise again. There's a book out here on the counter called The Case for Christ. And uh, it's like a primer, uh, a, a beginner for uh, all of us if we have not ever considered uh, really the, <laughs> the reality around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are so many pieces of the story that we have that we can verify that we know. If you read that and you decide, oh, that didn't quite cut it for me, I need to dive deeper into the details, and I can recommend several other books that get further and further into the you know, different levels of scholarship around the event of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The scriptures call us to have a reason, to be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. So even if you are not a follower of Christ because of the evidence that is there. We are still called to have a, to know the reasons why we believe the things that we believe. Because the enemy is after us. He is after our faith. The enemy wants us to doubt because if we doubt, then we will hesitate to obey. And the last thing the enemy wants us to do is to obey because the enemy knows that when we begin to obey, that's when we begin to 
to experience life. We begin to step into God's favor. We begin to understand what truly is best for us. We begin to experience real significance. We begin to see actual good fruit from our lives, and the enemy does not want us to experience life. The enemy wants us to stay trapped in deceit and thinking that it's all about this world. It's all about what the people around us think of us in this world, in this moment. It's all about me being able to get that next thing or do that next thing or have that next experience. And all the other ways the enemy lies to us about our own value, about our own insecurities. The enemy does not want us to know the truth and live by the truth because on the other side of that is life and abundant so, uh, my hope is that if there is any area in which you are not confident in your faith, that you begin to ask questions, that you begin to seek out answers, that you talk to people, and that you firm those things up because we're in the middle of a battle, a battle for our souls. And we need a strong foundation to act, to live courageously in this world. So if you're not already on that journey, hopefully today can be an impetus for you to get on that journey, to know deeply the truth so that you can live extraordinary.